Please pray with me. Father, we come to you. We come to you and sit at your feet and to learn from you. Things that only you can teach. Things that are grace from you. Things that are full of life that can only come from you. Lord, help us to learn. Help us to receive and then help us to act upon what you give us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read from Philippians 3, 7 through 21. And then we'll get on with what God has to teach us from this word. So please stand while we honor God's word. Beginning in verse 7, and I'm going to read out of ESV because that's what you're going to see up there. And this is, uh, this is Carter's Bible, so it's especially blessed. And uh, I feel very honored to be reading out of his Bible. 7 through 21. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, become like, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the, from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the price, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in me in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is God's word. Be to God. You may be seated.
Now, I'm going to preach out of my Bible because it's my Bible and it has everything marked. And uh, it just, I've had it since 1984 when this Bible came out. <laughs> so, uh, Philippians 2, I mean Philippians 3, I beg your pardon. Pat and I, my wife, Pat and I, a couple of weeks ago, went to Northern Kentucky because everybody's going to Northern Kentucky that's in my family or around me and everybody's talking about it. And so Pat and I, we just had to go there to see this huge ark that's supposedly built in, this, in the same size, living size, so to speak, in uh, Northern Kentucky and the Creation Museum and so on. We had a great time there. We really enjoyed that and uh, learned a lot from it. I, there are things there that are put together in such a way that I go, wow, hmm. I've thought about things like that before, but I didn't realize that they fit together so well. And I learned several things that really impacted my understanding of uh, the seven-day creation. If you have a question about that, I'm completely convinced now that it was seven days, seven earthly days, 24 hours each. So, if you doubt that, go up there and look at it and read all the posters. That's what we do, Pat and I. We read the posters and the plaques and everything. We take a lot of time to do that, but we learn a lot from that. I was struck by several things, as I say, but I was struck about one thing that really hadn't, I guess, just dawned on me, is that the right word? Hadn't really come together for me. I knew that God said, I'm gonna send a flood. Now, Noah had nothing to do with that flood. He couldn't have any influence on whether that came or didn't come or whatever. It was purely God's doing, right? But God chose Noah to do something a man would do, human beings do. He said, build an ark. Never been done before, never will be done afterward in that same sense. And here are the instructions for it. And miraculously, or impressed me, Noah obeyed. According to the Bible, no questions asked. And he did it. And it took him a long time. Maybe he had, according to the ark information there, maybe he even used uh, outside people, artisans, craftsmen, to help him, even though they didn't believe that the flood was coming. They were doing it for a salary, perhaps, a wage, and maybe he and his three sons didn't do the whole thing themselves. It's just not important. But they did it, and they finished it. On the day that they finished it, God uh, said, you've got to bring these animals in, and the rain's going to come. And so I just noticed, I mean, we saw this huge door in the ark that, where the animals could come through, and... I realized, I knew it before, it just didn't, as I say, dawn on me. What dawned on me was the, the parallel, if you want to call it that, between what Noah did as a man as humans do and what God did. 
beyond the flood, Noah and his, they weren't, they didn't go out and gather two of every kind. God did that. He brought them to him. In fact, he made them get on the ark, just like he made the fish get into the net for Jesus, in Jesus' day, right? They just came, and they went in the ark. And all they, I guess Noah and his, his three sons did, they just watched them come in, right? That's a miracle. Only God could do that. And then when they were all in, and the family, God shut the door. That was a big door. And he sealed it. God did that. It's in the Bible. You can read it. So, we often don't pay attention. I mean, yeah, we, okay, God caused the flood, but Noah did everything else. No, he didn't. In fact, Noah, he received instructions. He had two hands. He did what God told him to do that he could do. And God blessed him in it. God made it happen through him and through his three sons. But then he did the rest. And so that impressed me. And I, in coming back, and I was already working on this sermon, I realized that there are two sides of knowing God in the same way. And so I, there's a lot in the Bible about knowing God and knowing Christ. From the Old Testament through, if you look, I didn't count all the no's, K-N-O-W, but there's a lot of them in the Bible. And so it's everywhere, know God, know God, know Christ, therefore know God. We've read it over and over again. What part of that is our doing and what part of that is God's doing? So I have here two Two ways of knowing. And there, there are two points that I'm going to cover here today that have two points. One way of knowing that we're going to look at first really comes, I'm going to, I love John 17. I keep coming back to it. I've preached it before. I'm keep, I guess I'll keep on preaching it until you get tired of it. But uh, John 17 and, and his intercessory prayer, uh, the son to the father uh, for his disciples begins with knowing and it ends with knowing but the beginning part of that has to do with eternal life eternal life is do you know that verse i'll i'll read it to you he says in verse three now this is eternal life that they may know you the only true god and jesus christ whom you have sent. There is a knowing that has to do with salvation for, for your justification and mine to get us to heaven. That knowing is God's doing. God knew us before we knew him. Now you can read that in Psalm 139. How wonderful the, the person who wrote that. How remarkable and unfathomable it is that God knows me this way. But Jesus also said in Matthew 7, you who think, think you know God for salvation, for heaven, be careful. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only who, who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, perform many miracles? Then he will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Get away from me, you evildoers. The only way we're going to be saved is that God knows us. So, he calls us, he knows us, he saves us by Jesus Christ, by faith in, by, by faith in Jesus Christ, he knows us. And you say, well, why did you pick Philippians 3 for your passage to read? Because of all the all the passages in the Bible that I know of about knowing God, knowing Christ, this is the most personal. This is the most impassioned. This is the most urgent. It's expressed in a way that you know comes from Paul's heart. And that's the kind of knowing that God wants from us. So I'm going to talk about those two ways of knowing. Knowing for salvation, God's knowing us, but also knowing for life, walking with the Lord, living out this faith is an increasing knowledge, a knowing Christ more and more, more deeply, more fully, more completely. He says, not that I've made, not that I've achieved this perfect, this perfection. That means completeness, fullness, but that I press on to it. But this, this kind of knowing is experiential. You can see it in the text. I'm only going to talk about Philippians 3.10 for, to make my point. But you see, you have to see that context. How, how he feels about this, this knowing. He begins by saying the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus my Lord. And then Philippians 10, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. That's 11, but it's part of the paragraph. So that's why I want to look at it from our side. First, I'll look at it from the, the salvation side of from God, from what his knowing of us. I already read Matthew 7, 23. And as I said, um, if God doesn't know you, you can't know him because his calling on us has to come first. His um, choosing of us has to come first. There's a term that would go along with that. It's called Christ-likeness. We, as Christians, often talk about growing in Christ-likeness as kind of an equivalent of increasing in the knowledge of Christ, right? Well, if you look at that in the Bible, it's more on God's side. 
is known our side. That's the way of knowing of God. It's his doing, not ours. In Romans 8, 29, it says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That word, to be conformed, is passive. God is doing that conforming. Interestingly, the same word, the same root word, is used in Philippians 10. In the New American Standard, it says, being conformed in likeness of him. Here it says to become like him, but in King James it says, being made conformable unto his death. But again, it's still passive. It's God's doing, making us Christ-like. It's not something you can try to get, try to grow in. Try to, it's God's predestined you to become like his son. And he will do that. In 1 John 3, 2, he says, what we, when we get there, basically it says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him. For we will see him as he is. That's just going to happen. If you are in Christ and you are destined to be with him for eternity, when you get there, you will be like Christ because God will do it. He's already predestined it for you and he's going to get you there. In the end of Philippians 3, that I, because I read it, it says... Uh, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies this has plural the ESV has singular but still same idea will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body there will be synthesizing, I guess, if you want to call it that. There will be a completion of Christ's likeness that God will do. But God will use, and just as he used Noah, he's going to use something else to get us to his Christ-likeness that he's going to accomplish. And that's from Philippians 3. You see, the, he says the surpassing greatness I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I'm going to make a bold statement here. That is the most important thing you can do in your life as a Christian. It is your number one priority. Now you say, wait a minute. It's a great commandment. We've got to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. We've got to do, what was the other thing? Let's see. We've got to bring God glory and enjoy him forever. That's our goal. What I'm talking about is knowing Christ, knowing God as the means to everything else. It is. And Paul understood it. And he said it. Your job, my job, for the rest of my life is to grow in knowledge. Deep, personal, intimate, experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord. 
When I do that, it will translate into love for God. It will translate to love for others. It will tr certainly translate for, to glorifying God. It will translate to everything else. Because that's the means that God has appointed, appropriated for us to grow in everything else, growing in faith. It's only by coming to know him personally, the way Paul talks about it. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, being made conformable to him in his death. That's what it's all about. Our part of that, oh, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta insert this in my notes, so I gotta, you're not as old as I am, I know, not, some of you are. <laughs> uh, but uh, years ago, there was an old guy with a raspy voice, probably 20 years ago or so, you remember that videotape? I mean, it wasn't a videotape, it was a recording. Played in this church. It's got to be more than 20 years ago. I don't know. This guy powerfully recounted all the names for Christ, for God in the Bible. One after the other, and he, he, he interspersed every so often. He said, do you know him? He said, do you know him? And then he would go on some more. He said, he's the greatest. He's the, all of these things. Do you know him? Boy, that was powerful. So, our God job is to know him. Jesus has revealed him to us. That's part of God's doing. But we must seek it. In John 17, as I said, the first part of it is, he says, now this is eternal life that they may know you. That's eternal life. The only way to get to heaven is to know you, God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And he claims in verse 6, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. Jesus Christ has revealed God to us. You know that in John 14, if you know the Father, you know, or if you know, if you know the Son, you know the Father, and so on. The connection there is inescapable. You have to know him. He has revealed, Jesus Christ has revealed the Father to his disciples. And he ends that great intercessory prayer with knowing again. And you say, well, that's about love. Watch it. Let's look at it again. It says, righteous father, and he does talk about love, unity and love. As I say, I preached this not too long ago here, I guess. But look at the end of that. Righteous father, verse 25. Though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. Oneness, unity, love, how does it come? It comes by knowing. It comes by knowing 
the Father, God, and Jesus has revealed that to us. He's revealed it to us in his word. We have to read his word. There are five things that, uh, if you learn this in a disciple-making class, uh, you know, the grip on the Bible, have I done that before? I'll even use uh, Carter's Bible. That's a good Bible. Uh, five fingers. Reading. Hearing. John, what is it? John uh, 10, 17. Oh, come on. Anyway, hearing. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, right? Okay, hearing. Study. Meditating and memorizing. You want to get God's word in your heart? Read it. Hear it. Hear it preached. Study it. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Now, this is not some sort of um, demand, commandment in the Bible or anything like that. But if you want to get into God's word and know God's word and... and and see how he has revealed himself to you. Do all those things, those five things. God has, Jesus has revealed God to us, but we must seek it. He has sent his Holy Spirit to teach us, but we must ask for the Holy Spirit's help in understanding, for the Holy Spirit's illumination and explanation of the meaning of God's word. So we must ask for the Holy Spirit's help in knowing the word which reveals God. Then we have prayer. God will communicate himself to us. He promises to. He wants to. But we must actively communicate with him regularly and constantly through thanksgiving, through praise, through asking, uh, there's a great. Um, I'll preach another sermon on John 16, the verse of the chapter before John 17. It's a great. Um, I think God's. It's God's doing. Uh, asking, thanking, praising, asking, and just talking to God. That communication with God is called prayer, and through that we can come to come to know Him because He says, "Come to Me, and I will share Myself to you." with you. You'll get to know me if you come to me in prayer. And then even through others, as I say, through preaching, through teaching at Sunday school or parents to the children, uh, God uses others that God sends us in preaching, teaching, counseling, encouraging, rebuking, whatever it's necessary, leads to more deeper, further knowledge of God. But we must submit to the guidance of those people that God has sent us. We have to submit to that. We can learn from them because it's about knowing God. We do it, yes. It's our responsibility to know him, to grow in knowledge of him with God's enabling. It is a mutual, reciprocal relationship providing ever-increasing in, ever knowledge of him. And it is radical knowledge. In verse, uh, chapter, in verse 10 uh, of chapter 3 of Philippians, he says, he's talking about the, uh, 
knowing the power of his resurrection. That's experiencing and understanding the power that raised Jesus from the dead. To know, to, to bring that into yourself, that understanding, and experience that power in your own life. The power that raised Jesus from the dead, that expands and amplifies and increases our knowledge. He, Paul says he um, wants to know the fellowship of sharing in sufferings. Of course, Paul suffered, but we're all going to suffer. We all suffer in many ways each and every day, if not outwardly, certainly internally. But we can imperfectly understand Christ's extreme suffering through the suffering that we will experience in our lives. That experiential fellowship of knowing his suffering for us. Not that it gains us anything in the sense of earning any special favors or anything from God, but that we would, it would help us to understand the suffering of Christ. And Paul wanted to know that, being conformed to his death. And again, God is conforming him. We talk about in Romans 6 about dying to Christ or dying with Christ, becoming like him in his death so that we can be totally committed to him, totally committed to knowing him, to walk with him, to revere him, to live the life that he has given us to live. Now, verse 11, if that, I don't want to leave you there. I'm not going to expound this whole thing, but I don't want you to think that verse 11 means that Paul isn't certain of his own salvation. He says, uh, some, so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. He knows that he's going to be in heaven. But it's like that verse where it says, working out your own salvation. It's like, yes, Christ died for you. It's imputed to you. You are saved. God knows you for salvation, for eternity, for justification. But we live that out. We increase in our understanding of all of these things and our knowledge of him so that we will attain to the resurrection of the dead. As I say, it must be our first priority. It, it leads to our loving him and loving others. I'm repeating myself in our obedience to him, in our bearing fruit for him. He says, you will bear much fruit of our continued growing in our faith in him and of our sincere worship of him. You cannot worship what you do not know. If you don't know him, who are you worshiping? What are you worshiping? It, imp it imparts to everything in our lives. But then the next step of that uh, Dean Weaver, the clerk of the EPC, he made the point yesterday in that, that video. You know what the mission of the EPC is? Very simple. Fulfill the Great Commission. I love that. Hmm. Boy. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been involved in trying to write out mission statements and vision statements. That's pretty simple. Our mission is to fulfill the Great commission, and that is to make disciples. So in knowing, as you increase in the knowledge of God, Colossians 1.10 says, that you may walk with him, I'll, Philippians, Colossians, real quick here. 
Don't ever try to quote a verse when you're preaching. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing and growing in the knowledge of God. The last part of that. You want to know what God wants of you? He wants you to bear fruit. He wants you to walk with him. He wants you to know him ever increasingly. And then you are to pass that on to other people. We are all called to make disciples. That's what, that's what Dean Weaver says. EPC says, you got to make, excuse me, you got to make disciples. We can pass that knowing on to other people. The learning from our word, the word, God's word, must lead to our knowing him. And then we will be equipped to share that with other people. There are methods, spiritual disciplines, practices of gaining in knowledge of the Bible, of God's word, but applying that to your own life has to do with experiencing it personally, as Paul said. And then we are to impart that. It's a lifestyle, not knowledge. It's experiential, not head academic information. It's a lifestyle of following Christ, of bearing fruit, and of increasing in the knowledge of him, as Colossians 1.10 says. I pray and I implore you. We have small groups starting now. This is a perfect way, God can make it perfect, of increasing in the knowledge of God and passing that on to other people. I, that's my prayer, is that those of us who are growing in Christ, who are maybe more mature, he says those of you who are mature should take a view of things, this thing. You're not perfectly mature. He is not perfectly, perfectly mature. He was pressing on. But as you mature, you can bring other people along in a small group setting. But if that's not the goal of your small group, to know him, to increase in the knowledge of God... It should be. That's our number one priority. So I'm, I'm saying, do your own style, do your own thing. But that goal has to be out there. The goal of knowing him more personally, more deeply, more experientially, experiencing him in your life. That's what it's all about. We, as small group leaders, should facilitate this process as much as possible. Probably one of the, or one of the greatest uh, discipleship organizations in the world has a very simple creed, a very simple mission, to know him and to make him known. To know him and to make him known. If you do that, all of the rest falls into place. So that's the question. That, like that raspy, raspy-voiced old man, do you know him? Are you knowing him? And will you pass that on to others? Let's pray. Father, thank, thank you for your word. Thank you for the words of Paul. Uh, you used him greatly to teach us. Lord, help us to take these words seriously, as seriously as Paul did, 
And Lord, please help us to increase in our knowledge of you each and every day so that we too someday may say, I know you. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.